Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And good afternoon. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. It's great being with you here today. And we've been talking about communication over the last few weeks. And there's a lot to talk about in communication. Last week, we discussed the idea of how it's quite foolish and embarrassing to respond before we fully hear a question that someone is posing to us without interjecting, without just listen. Listen has the same letters as the word silent. And it's important if you want to be heard, then you have to be listening to others. And the only way you could listen to another is by being silent when they speak. And obviously, this is obvious, but many people fail to really live up to this societal expectation. I confess, even myself, one who's talking and exploring this topic and teaching about this topic, I also have my shortcomings and those moments, those times. And the reason is because many of us, it's just... The thing, we like talking and talking and talking. That's one of the things we do right here on the radio show. And if you want to make this not a monologue, then, by the way, feel free to call into the studio. I'd be happy to take your call and talk with you in person. The number is 10 It's a new studio number again. 10 Or you could do the WhatsApp way, which is 61 895 Again, 061-895-1019. And I think, did you hear that number? Yeah, of course you heard the number. But did you listen to the number? You want the number again? Well, of course, you can only send me that message if you heard the number and listened to it. Again, the studio number 01014030020. Or the WhatsApp number, just store it on your phone. It's 061-895-1019. And... Just demonstrate right here is that oftentimes we hear things, but we're not listening. We're not paying attention. How many times I listen here onto the radio and you hear the news and I wonder if sometimes I want to tell the broadcaster, perhaps you don't mind to repeat what was the Rand dollar exchange rate or maybe repeat the weather of the day because oftentimes we hear it, but we didn't listen. We didn't pay attention. And when we don't listen, then we lack the patience to even wait for another person to finish their words and we have a difficulty with listening sometimes. And we have to understand that there's a clear difference between listening and hearing. So last week we talked about one particular impediment to listening, one challenge that a lot of people have. And that is the fact that often many people just don't respect the other person whom they are carrying on a conversation with. So the problem is if you don't, ex- if you don't respect another person's opinion, then you don't listen to them. You don't want to hear because I know better than that person. So there's a very famous Mishnah taught by Ben Zoma who says, A Zahu Chacham, who is truly wise, Halomed Mikaladam, one who could learn from every person. If he could learn from everyone, that is a truly wise person. Because the truth of the matter is, everyone has something to share. Everyone has something to say. We could learn from other people. And when we interact with people from different backgrounds, from different whatever socioeconomic status, from different shuls, from different communities, maybe even from other religions and other ideologies, then 
we gain a fresh novel insight. Obviously, we shouldn't be exposing ourselves to idolatrous ideas and we shouldn't be putting ourselves and making ourselves vulnerable to certain pitfalls of life. But there's nothing wrong. On the contrary, it is beneficial for us to learn from other people, which is exactly what Benzoma teaches in the Mishnah. Eizahu Chacham, who's truly wise, halamad mikaladam, to learn from every single person that we encounter. Because every person has unique wisdom and unique perspectives and ideas that we could learn from. And if we just see ourselves as, I know it all, then we can't learn from another person. But... One of the great commentators, the Medrash Shmuel, gives a beautiful idea. And he says, what is the Hebrew term for a wise person? We call him a Talmud Chacham. What's a Talmud Chacham? As Rabbi Weinberg recently put it to me, a Talmud Chacham is not one who knows how to learn. Rather, it's one who does learn. And that's the idea. One who can learn from every person. And that's the name Talmud Chacham. It's a student of wisdom. It's not that, you know, you could... Separate the words wise, oftentimes when people talk about a chacham or an ibra chacham, it's actually derogatory because that person is so wise they can't even learn from anyone else. But a Talmud chacham is a student. No matter how old, regardless of the person's age, one is always learning from other people because they see themselves as there's always more for me to learn. There's another opportunity. And if we're complacent with our knowledge, if we think that we know everything, then Obviously, we'll be skeptical and maybe even intimidated by another person because, you know, you know more than me. If we only associate with the people we know, the people who we're familiar with, our fellow schoolmates, our fellow schoolmates, our fellow work associates, and we don't see people who look or act different than us, then there's no way we could actually truly grow because we're stuck in a particular narrow-minded cocoon, and that's the only way we see things. But if we humbly and honestly appreciate our own limitations, our own short-sightedness, and we look forward to learn from other people. I gave you the example last week in traveling. Some people don't want to expose themselves to other tastes or flavors of another country. Granted, that's all got to be kosher, obviously, because we are Jews and we're proudly Jewish and we know that's our spiritual diet. But when you taste flavors of other places and you experience, it's a whole different idea. It's a whole different way of seeing things, exactly what Benzama says. And only a person who, despite your expanse knowledge and despite your immense expertise, if you see yourself as a student, you look every day to learn and to grow, that is a true path of wisdom. And the problem is, you know, if in the course of a conversation, we're only interested in learning, though, I'm only thinking I'm in this conversation to expand my knowledge, then I think that's another problem because we only value other people if it increases our knowledge, if that person has something to teach me. But that's not when Benzoba taught, because Benzoma says to learn from every person. So the moment that you sense that what the other person's saying is irrelevant, it's not expanding my knowledge, then I probably won't listen to that person. So that's contrary to the words of Benzoma. Benzoma is saying, if you interest yourself in a conversation, in every single person, with every person that you meet, then it's not just to expand your knowledge, because it's not about gaining, what could I gain, what wisdom could I gain from talking to this person? But out of sincere interest in what the person has to say and learning from that person, then the point is automatically we're going to expand our knowledge because 
when we listen to another person, even if the subject matter is of no interest to me, the just listening to the person, to the individual, regardless of what the topic is, will certainly expand our knowledge as well. So listening, we know, is a gamble because some of the people we speak with, they say things that we find certainly irrelevant. And it's possible the person that I'm conversing with, although might be very wise, but I'm not interested in in geometry today. It's just not a topic that fascinates me at all. I'm not a scientist and that's not something that's relevant to me. And you can think of whatever the topic might be. If it's not something I'm interested in, then why should I carry on a conversation with somebody about a topic that's irrelevant to me? It says no relevance to my life whatsoever. And then I might not be interested in learning about or from that person's profession, from that person's culture or experience. So it's wisdom that we don't have, but also wisdom that I don't care about because it's totally irrelevant to me. So in that case, I want to share with you something fascinating, a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov who says that every single encounter we have in our life has a purpose. The concept, the doctrine of Hashkacha Pratis, individual divine providence, it gives us a deeper appreciation into the importance of listening. Listening to another person isn't only possible, it's not only a possible learning experience that's worth the risk, the time, the effort, maybe I'll learn something from another person. But listening allows us to fulfill our life's purpose. Because as the Baal Shem Tov said, divine providence means if I am in this moment, I must maximize and utilize this moment. If I meet a person, if I'm having a conversation, then the information that I'm obtaining from that conversation is actually earmarked for me. It is vital for me to know this. And this is something, a very important point of Hashkacha Pratis, because the knowledge that I've obtained isn't only important for my own life mission. It's important for the entire trajectory of mankind. The entire trajectory of history was for me to meet this person at this moment and to interact with that individual. So to ignore that person or the message that they're sharing with me is actually shirking off my societal responsibility, my spiritual purpose for why I'm here in this world. And granted, I know this comes with challenges as well because there are times that I can't be speaking with the individual. I've seen you know, people pop up in your office and they just want to have a meeting Obviously, if you have a different mission and somebody's trying to interrupt that mission, then that's not the mission you're meant to be on at the moment because that interruption is an interruption. And maybe that person has to schedule a time. And of course, this idea needn't be taken to the extreme. One could, one could apply it in a very practical way. But the point the Baal Shem Tov is teaching us is that information has the potential to help me realizing what my life's mission is, why I'm here in serving God. And that facilitates in my performance of mitzvahs. It assists in my personal development. It might enable me to help someone else out. And the point is, if I don't listen, then I'm throwing away an important tool that God is purposely sending in my direction. So we have to listen to people. We really have to listen and pay attention. And that is a very important message and lesson 
is to listen to other people. Now, of course, that is talking about who to listen to. Well, the Mishnah says very clearly, you got to listen to everyone. The question is how to listen. Now, I could theoretically be interested in listening to everyone, but practically speaking, I don't know how easy it is to implement this principle, this idea. So let's look at a very interesting episode that occurred shortly before the Jews went into Israel. And maybe we can learn a little bit about how to listen to other people. You remember the story as the Jews, they left Egypt in the year 2448, and this year marks 3,330 years since our exodus. But 40 years later, the Jews, the Jews are finally poised at entering the land of Israel. And just before they go, there were two tribes, actually two and a half, the tribes of Reuben, God, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They noticed that there was a tremendous, a great abundance of livestock, and uh, they ha- that they possessed a great abundance of livestock. And they saw that the lands of outside of Israel, Yazer and Gilad, they realized that area was a perfect place, ideally suited for their livestock to pasture. So they turned to Moses. They come to, uh, Aaron already passed on, so they come to Elazar, the priest, and the leaders of the community. And they said, we found, we if we find favor in your eyes, then we would like to settle in this land in the north. And Moshe's immediate response to them was, should your brothers go to war while you're going to sit here? Have you not learned from the past? Do you remember what happened 40 years ago where the Jews didn't want to even enter the land? Why are you discouraging the rest of the Jews from going? And he tells them, this is what your fathers did. And he gives them a little bit of a reprimand. And we see, if you continue reading the verses there, Moshe accuses the tribes of following in the footsteps of the predecessors, of their sinful antecedents, the spies. And just as the spies were afraid and discouraged the rest of the people from going into the land, He's afraid that you have the tribes of Reuben, God, and half of Manasseh are going to do the same thing here. So they answer Moshe and they tell him, no, don't worry, Moses. We're going to go into the land and we're going to fight the war and we'll be in the vanguard and we're going to help in leading. And only then afterwards, we'll leave, of course, our wives and children's, our wives and children behind, but only after we've fought and conquered and helped everyone else settle the land will we return and settle here ourselves. And once Moshe heard this, that's when he changes his tune and he consents to the tribes. He says, okay, fine, good deal, good deed, good idea. And the only thing he advises them is this land is great for your, great pasture for your children to play and for your animals to graze. He switches the order of what they said. He tells them the priority should be their family, their children. But if we look at the story itself, the tribes of Reuben and God, they really helped out with the conquest of the West Bank, of the Jordan River, the rest of Israel. And that's when they returned to their portion, which was on the east side of the Jordan. So was the tribe's response to Moshe, was that a counterproposal offered when they realized that, well, if we're not going to fight, you know, this just doesn't work. So this is their counteroffer. Or were they just clarifying their original intention. And 
there's various understandings of this, but one of the commentators, Rabbi Daniel Chakabarbanel, offers a fascinating interpretation. He says that the tribes were actually quite uh, terror-stricken at Moshe's response because they wanted to tell Moshe, with all due respect to his greatness, that he didn't understand their intention. When they said, don't take us across the Jordan River, they weren't intending to abandon their brethren when it came to the battle, the conquest of the land. But their intention was, in the eventual inheritance, we don't need to go into the land itself. We're happy here on the East Bank. That was their point. And so Abarbanel contends that from the get-go, the tribes were ready to join in the conquest of the land. They were prepared to fight with their brothers. And they were even prepared to lead the way and to fight on the front lines. Their request was just about post-war, when we're settling the land, where they want to be. It wasn't about military duty. So Moshe, when he saw, though, that they don't want to go, when they even said that, he already thought that they are repeating the same attitude of their fathers who refused to enter the land. And he said, ah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You guys haven't learned to think from your parents' errors. After 40 years in the desert, you're back to square one. What's going on? And so the Abarbanel saying that Moshe, the greatest of the great, Moshe's perspective was that he sort of had a stereotype that this is what you guys are. You haven't learned from your mistakes. And in a sense... This is what many people do and think of someone as great as Moses, as the Abarbanel interpreted it at least, could see things this way. How many of us tend to fit what somebody's saying into an image that we've created about that person? You know, you know that somebody might be forgetful. I work with senior citizens all the time. There are people who have Alzheimer's, dementia. We know someone's forgetful. Does that mean I shouldn't? accept their opinion, their perspective, their recollection, their memory of any incident that they may have experienced because we paint that picture. If someone believes, you believe your kid came home from school and he made trouble or whatever it might be, all of a sudden when the child tells you that he's having trouble with a teacher, you say, oh, I know you're a troublemaker and don't even hear the side, the perspective, the opinion of your child because, you know, at home the kid makes a little bit of trouble. Or one day your ordinarily curt boss, difficult person strikes up a friendly conversation with you and you're like, hold on a second, this can't be genuine. What's the ulterior motive here? This guy's not usually so friendly with me. What's this about? And when you're listening to somebody, what the Abarbanel was saying is, Moshe, when he listened to them and they explained their position, they said, we're happy to go to war. We're happy to help in the conquest of the land. All of a sudden, when he heard their perspective, if we're willing to erase the image that we have of a person, not just to see their past, not just to say, oh, that's the way that person is. So perhaps, yeah, my forgetful friend does have some kind of memory issue and maybe does suffer from dementia and long-term memory but maybe for whatever reason this particular event had made a big impression on them besides the point i recall hearing that dementia affects more short-term memory and not long-term so it's possible that they remember quite accurately things that happened long in the past but 
nonetheless, we might have a certain stereotype that we see the person in that particular way. Maybe the kid, it's true your kid makes trouble at home, but maybe that, maybe he's not the root of the trouble in school. Maybe the teacher was picking on the child and maybe we should give your child the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't mean for certain. Don't be naive. Maybe the child was making trouble, but it's worthwhile to at least be open and to hear your child's perspective. Maybe your boss came to the realization that she doesn't give off the friendliest ear and is consciously working on it. So today your boss came in with a smile and was friendly and nice and kind and, and, Maybe give them the, the benefit of a doubt. It's true. It's possible that your boss is actually unfriendly. And maybe there's some ulterior motive. She wants a favor from you. I don't know what it is. But it's worthwhile giving that consideration. Yes, don't be naive. We can't, be, we can't completely ignore whatever prior information that we have about another person. It would be foolish to blindly accept as fact that forgetful friend's recollection of an incident or to assume that your child's an angel when you know your child better than that or when the boss is offering that compliment to think that yeah there's nothing there's nothing up but certainly at the same time we have to give that benefit of doubt we have to be open to the possibility that maybe my perception of the person even if it's based on previous grounds maybe it's erroneous maybe it's incomplete and that the current issue isn't related to that individual's perceived past Although very much it could be, it's possible that it is. So I think what I'd like you to do for one moment before we take a quick break is to think of a relationship in which perhaps you have constructed some kind of concrete mental image of a certain person in your life. And if you could identify times and circumstances when habitually that image of judgment of that person's words or actions, just you think of that person in a particular way. And now perhaps to say, can I give them the benefit of doubt and see them otherwise? Just give it some thought. We'll be right back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High And we're back. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman, and today we're talking some tips and tricks that could help us to become better listeners. And two things we discussed so far today is that sometimes we have a lack of respect for another person with whom we are engaged in conversation. And a very simple solution, a listening tool you could apply that we discussed, is to think, as the Mishnah tells us, Benzoma taught, that every person has wisdom or a perspective that we could learn from. And everything that we hear, every encounter we have is as a vital message that's intended for us. And the second point we made was a challenge we have with listening to other people is because we sometimes have a preconceived notion about the person based on our experience with them. We have a stereotype, some kind of image we conjure and whatever they tell us, we, the reliability of it, whatever we hear from them is based on those past experiences. And although that is just life, we could perhaps clear our mind of any pre-existing opinion regarding that individual and think for a moment and say, perhaps, just perhaps, maybe I could put that idea aside and see the person for what they're telling me or what I'm experiencing now in the moment with them. And I want to share with you one more idea, another impediment to listening and perhaps a way that we could 
that we could um, that we could counter it, and we could hopefully, with this antidote, overcome this listening impediment. I want to share with you a little bit of a story in the mid in the mid nineteenth century about five women in one thousand died in or following deliveries performed by midwives at home. Only five women in 1,000. But when doctors were working in the best maternity hospitals, if the doctor performed the delivery, then the maternal death rate was 10 to 20 times higher. That's fascinating. You would think that a hospital delivery should be healthier, yet there was a higher mortality rate in the hospitals than home births. And so the cause was usually called, uh, invariably, they had a childbed or they had other names for it like uh, puripural, uh, things like that, which had to do with fever, different excuses that the doctors had for why there were so many deaths. And today we know the very obvious reason, but back then, not so long ago, in the mid-1800s, it wasn't as well known. And doctors typically began the day performing beer-handed autopsies on the women who died the day before of that childbed fever. And they then went on, without disinfecting their hands or the tools they used, they would go on to the maternity ward and examine the laboring woman about to deliver their babies. And this, of course, poses a major risk. Today, it's obvious, it's clear. Today, before we treat any patient, we put gloves on our hands. We constantly disinfect ourselves. Go into any hospital and you'll see how many disinfectant materials they have. But there was a Jewish doctor then named Dr. Isnaf Philip Samawise. He was a Jewish obstetrician. And he uh, he was the one running the obstetrics division at the Vienna General Hospital. A third of the maternity patients there were dying from childhood birth, from childhood fever and other causes that we discussed. And this is just something that obviously was alarming and bothering him. A third of the patients dying. And he thought, what could we do about this? So Samawise made the connection after a little bit of research and examining what's going on there in the hospital, that what happened was this fever was actually caused by doctors who were transferring some time of some type of of uh, of a morbid poison from the corpses that they were dissecting it before they were entering the delivery room. And he ordered his physicians based on this study he did. He ordered the physicians to wash their hands in a chlorinated lime solution each and every time after performing any autopsies. He said it was imperative that they rinse their hands in this way. And so not long after instituting this protocol, the mortality rates in his maternity ward actually decreased. They plummeted. The thing is, he didn't have the consent of all the doctors. He was posting signs that people have to wash their hands and not all the other doctors believed in his idea. And unfortunately, despite him publishing his results that demonstrated that hand washing reduced mortality to below 1%, 
his ideas were rejected by most of his colleagues. And at that stage, mid-1840s, most medical professionals outright rejected his proposal. And seeing that his ideas were disregarded, he became bitter and depressed. And sadly, it led to his premature death in 1865. He was committed to an insane asylum where he died not long later at the age of 47. Quite sad. Um, so the point is that this entire study was given a name and it was called the Summerwise Effect. If we examine the Summerwise Effect, why was Dr. Semmelweis's hypothesis rejected? Why didn't the medical field embrace it from him then? Wouldn't that have been the clever thing for them to do? He discovered the cause of all these deaths. But there are several possible reasons. His ideas conflicted with the established opinion of the time. It wasn't proved. It wasn't uh, scientifically and medically proven. And so... He, who didn't pr provide any scientific explanation for his findings, was, was condemned for it. And the truth is, his practices, eventually, they earned widespread acceptance, but long after his death, when others confirmed that the germ theory of spreading germs amongst others being contagious, that was one of the problems, that it conflicted with the established opinion of the time. Another concern was that some of the doctors were offended at the suggestion that they have to wash their hands. We've been doing it this way for centuries. No one washes their hands. It's just not the way we do it. And if they accepted, his theory would have led to a whole overhaul of how medicine would be practiced. And so the doctors, maybe out of ego, maybe out of other reason, but even though he couldn't explain his theory in a way that was consistent with the accepted paradigm of disease at the time. Nevertheless, they didn't listen to him. He had clear statistical evidence, backed up his entire hypothesis, but they rejected his ideas outright. And this is called the Semmelweis effect because this is something that many people still to this very day, I know the medical professionals changed immensely. There's constantly more learning and growth and development and research and acceptance of if a doctor rejects to certain practices, then I was told by people in the medical profession in today's day and age, they are always considered and discussed on how they can improve. But back in the day, that wasn't the case. And the truth is, Today as well, many people, when they're unfamiliar with a certain way of thinking, if it doesn't fit into their way of thinking, if it's some kind of cognitive dissonance, then outright rejecting another person's perspective. Maybe it makes them feel uncomfortable. Maybe there's some guilt. Maybe it's inconvenient, whatever it might be. And the point is clear that we often reject knowledge because we're unfamiliar with it. We're uncomfortable. It's inconvenient for us. And... If we could step out of that box that we've created of our reality and realize that perhaps there are other ways of seeing things. The Talmud tells us that Reb Zerah, when he went to the land of Israel, he fasted a hundred days and prayed that he should forget the Babylonian Talmud so it wouldn't impede his ability to study the Jerusalem Talmud. Why would Reb Zerah, who was quite 
a great Torah scholar. Why would he want to forget or figuratively forget all which he studied in the past? And the answer quite simply is that he recognized that he had, if he comes with only a certain way of seeing things, that is a handicap. As the, as the Perkiava tells us, that one who learns as a child is compared to ink that's inscribed on fresh paper, whereas one who learns in their old age is compared to ink inscribed on erased paper. And I don't think the Mishnah is necessarily talking about actual age, one's biological age, but I think it's talking about an attitude. The attitude of a child is, I'm thirsting, I want to learn, I'm novice at this, I'm new at this job, I'm a new parent, I want to learn, I want to get better. Whereas someone who sees themselves as old, as I know already, one who says, I'm old, I'm wise, I know it all, then I can't be a Talmud Chacham because that person has no more room to learn. So don't have that kind of handicap where there's nothing for you to learn. We have to accept that we've got these biases and we have to overcome them. And the best way to do that is with active listening, by paying attention, by being there. And just as Samawise's idea was rejected by his colleagues because it was unfamiliar and uncomfortable and inconvenient, we have to not fall into that trap ourselves. We have to recognize that if we're going to only interpret information with our own filters, then that's a limitation. We have to be able to employ true listening skills, which is how do I get above this? How do I clear my mind from whatever pre-existing perspective I have, empty my mind and focus on the conversation in the moment? And this is whether you're attending a seminar, whether you're, whether you're in a conversation with another person, whether you're sitting at a business meeting or a family meeting and exploring new ideas, whatever has been happening till now, as Einstein said, insanity is repeating the same thing again and again and expecting different results. We have to recognize that Perhaps we need another way of seeing things and to be open to another person's perspective and to see there are other ways. There certainly are other ways. And if we could be open to that, the Torah shows us so beautifully how we could learn from everyone around us. So I hope we've learned some of the wonderful tips and tricks that the Torah teaches us for communication. I hope these ideas will help you with communicating more effectively, being a a better communicator. Number one, we said hearing is different than listening. And hearing isn't, you know, hearing is easy, but listening could be challenging, a challenging art to master. We got to do that. And even if it's difficult to listen, we have to recognize maybe because I don't respect the person I'm listening to and I got to be a little more attentive, focus, be a active listener. And every person I'm involved with, there's a purpose for it. And finally, we discuss the tendency to fit whatever mental image we have of another person. So, we could clear our minds not to have those preconceived notions of others and we'll do ourselves a great deal of good listening and learning from all those around us. Now you have a chance to listen to one more musical interlude before you go into listen to the news and then you don't have to listen, don't have to ask for it to be repeated again. Looking forward to be back with you right here on Soul to Soul next time wishing you a meaningful, purposeful and listening Shabbos.